0: Welcome once again, and after this short break, to a new episode. In this one, we are going to start finally talking about the conquest of the Canary Islands, as we've uh, mentioned in previous episodes. But um, first, we are going to start with a small introduction about the uh, ancient uh, Canarian peoples, so the, the pre-Hispanic Canarians, um, to give this podcast a bit more context and, and indeed, to serve as an introduction to all of the all of the podcasts that will um, talk about. The the Conquest of the Islands. Um, So this one is uh, full of very interesting uh, data and and information. Um, Then we're going to focus on the Conquest of Lanzarote, which is um, perhaps one of the shortest by far. Um, Sorry for the spoiler. So before we talk about the um, pre-Hispanic Canarians and their way of life, um, which is, again, as I said, going to help understand a little bit more about all of these audios and... uh, um, now that we are going to talk about the conquest, um, we must mention that these uh, pre-Hispanic um, peoples of the Canaries are sometimes referred to as huanches in many writings and by many researchers. Um, but it is worth noting that originally the huanches were the ancient um, the, the ancient uh, settlers and inhabitants of uh, Tenerife only, only of the island of Tenerife. Um, as, we ha- as we have um, already mentioned in some of the other um, episodes. Um, this word comes from, uh, the word "wanche" come from, comes from one, um, sons of or son of or children of, um, and uh which was the, the Wanche name for the island of Tenerife. So um, that's where the word "wanche" comes from, uh, children of the island of Tenerife. Um, or Akinak, uh, they would have, as they would have said uh, at that time, and then it got um, translated, um, well transcribed, by um, Spanish conquerors and and historians of the time as as one chip So to simplify, um, just as all the islands and their inhabitants um, will come to be known as the Canaries, um, because of the island of Canaria, uh, later called Gran Canaria. Um, Some, uh, we will later um, talk about how uh, and where that title of uh, Great or Gran Canaria um, came from. Um, But in this this same way, um, all of the inhabitants, um, all of the ancient Canarians and pre-Hispanic Canarians are um, referred to as Wanches, um, which comes from, from the island of Tenerife in particular. Um, this might be, as as we said, because Gran Canaria uh, was um, one of the the most difficult to conquer at the time. Um, it was the third one or the fourth one. Uh, we will see, but um, um, it definitely uh, wasn't uh, the last one, which which was Tenerife and, and La Palma, and so on. and so. Um, it it makes sense in in this way that maybe. Um, all of the ancient, uh, all of the pre-Hispanic peoples came to be known as Juanches, who were the the ones who were conquered uh, conquered the last, basically. All right, and then we would talk about the Canarians um, and the Canary Islands. Again, coming from Canaria or Gran Canaria, possibly because this was the island that had. Um, that was uh, that had the most population uh, at the time before Tenerife was conquered. It was the one that had the most contact, um, and it was well one of the largest that was conquered before Tenerife. Um, so yeah, when we we can use the word ancient Canarians, pre-Hispanic Canarians, um, but Juanches uh, is sometimes easier uh, to distinguish as a single word. Um, Compared to when we talk about current Canarians, um, so in any case, when I mention the wanches I'll try to um, uh, I'll try to point this out, but um, we might not necessarily be talking about the peoples of Tenerife, even though that would be the um, correct use case. So something to clarify and something that gives us a bit of a glimpse into the process of the conquest that will go into detail later. Um, Okay, so with that clarified, um, let us quickly remember that the islands were first known as the uh, Fortunate Islands or um, Insula Fortunatae, based on the texts of Pliny the Elder in ancient Rome, um, or and of uh, King Juba of uh, Mauritania. The texts of, uh, of Plato and later uh, the medieval texts and maps also mention the the Fortunate Islands. Um, later, they will be known as Canaria and its insulas, or Canaria and its islands, um, or Islands of Canaria, and later simply the Canary Islands. As we mentioned before, the conquest of the islands took place in the 15th century um, from 1402 with the arrival of Juan de Betancourt or Juan de Betancourt in Lanzarote until the surrender of Tenerife in 1496. Although, in reality, the ancient Canarians, or Wanches, whatever we call them, um, had already been trading um, and also defending themselves from attacks and attempts at conquest um, and um, pirate attacks um, since before those dates. Um, and in this first episode, we will first deal with some events um, prior to that initial period of conquest in 1402. Um, But equally, we will have to return in in future episodes to deal with it in more depth, because otherwise this audio would be uh, very, very long. Um, So, as we have already said, uh, what interests us is that main period of conquest from uh, 1402 to 1496. Um, So this covers the conquest of all of of the seven islands, um, and as I said, it's going to span several chapters, um, after which we will return to Previous events and even events during um, that that we can discuss in in more detail. Um, first of all, it is very important to have a general overview um, of, of of a topic as complicated as this one, um, and in which the information um, we have doesn't really um, always support. Um, um so accounts don't really support each other um but often contradict uh, contradict one another um so we will have to to deal with these in in some depth um so in this episode, we're just gonna um give an overview um We're gonna talk about the conquest of Lanzarote as i said fourteen o two um Jean de arrives in in Lanzarote and Specifically, he, he settles in San Marcial del Rubicón. Um, not long ago, uh, some research was done here, uh, some archaeological research, um, which we'll mention later. Um, but with this um, starts the Conquista Señorial, or um, nobility uh, conquest of the Canary Islands. Um, But before we explain any of this, um, it's important to put the 15th century in context, um, especially to understand how um, the people of the time saw the world Um, and um, before we read their texts and what they transmit to us, um, uh, which are really the the very few pieces of uh, of data that we have about life in the Canary Islands before the conquest. So the Spanish language began to be used officially as um, in official documents in the 13th century. So only two centuries, or a little less than two centuries before uh, the beginning of of this period of conquest. The first edition of Antonio de Nebrija's grammar of the Castilian language was published in 1492. That is 90 years after the beginning of of this process. For its part, the the kingdom of Aragon has um, finally completed the the reconquest of um, its part of what used to be. It's part of the peninsula, and has um, just expelled the Moors um, and continues now expanding throughout the Mediterranean. Um, the Portuguese, um, however, were also expanding, having completed the reconquest uh, before Castile. Uh, they had taken Ceuta, the, the city of Celta, Ceuta, in 1415, and the island of Madeira in 1420. Um, let us remember quickly that the Azores, Madeira, etc., all the islands of Macaronesia, um, excluding the Canary Islands, um, did not have any type of population. So, the capture by the Portuguese um, of, um, as we said, of Madeira in 1420 focuses on building ports, etc., and colonizing. Um, But there are no battles of conquest or anything similar to what we see um, in the conquest of the Canary Islands. Meanwhile, the Crown of Castile is still um, reconquering the Iberian Peninsula, well, their side of it, as we had mentioned, where where the Kingdom of Granada um, had been established as the as the last refuge of, of the Moorish civilization, um, and um, again this um, Christian reconquest um, had started in twelve thirty eight, so the War of Granada will take place in fourteen eighty two until fourteen ninety two with with its fall. Um, And yeah, so related to this, uh, many authors consider the end of the Middle Ages uh, with the discovery of America in 1492, which is just after the reconquest of Granada or the fall of Granada. Um, However, other authors and other historians consider the end of the Middle Ages when, um, um, with the fall or conquest, depending on the point of view of um, Constantinople and the fall of the Byzantine Empire in 1453 at the hands of the Ottoman Empire. Um, This is to put into into context um, that these um, Spanish conquistadors um, um, or of other nationalities, as we will see, um, were people mainly from from the Middle Ages. And we must take this into account when we talk about their impressions and the way in which they act uh, and the right about these events. Um, And as well as their beliefs so they have the preconceptions that a person from the middle ages um, would have when they encounter um, these um, pre-Hispanic these ancient uh, Canarians Um, likewise we do not have any historical records or documents uh, about the ancient Canarians beyond the mentions that these um, conquerors Could make during or after the conquest. Um, And that's how we've learned about their customs and diets and beliefs and physical abilities, etc. And this is why, even today, there are many unknowns um, about uh, how they originally arrived on the islands um, and where from, their languages, etc. So, in summary, um, about the ancient Canarians, we know um, the following. we know that they arrived, obviously, by sea at some point, but it is not known um, how or when. Um, what we do know is that in times of the conquest and um, shortly before, um, when they used to trade and and so on with other merchants and visitors, they did not know um, navigation, or at least we don't have proof that they did. Um, they had. In fact, legends and religious beliefs in which they mentioned heroes who would swim between the islands. In addition, the Majos, the the um, the inhabitants of the island of Fuerteventura, um supposedly swam to the to the islet of wolves or to the to the Islote de Lobos, los, wolves, um, to hunt uh, to hunt monk seals, also known as uh, sea lions, or lobos marinos, hence the name of the, of the island. Um, so it is this, da- this lack of knowledge of uh, navigation that makes it difficult for us today to determine whether um, these first settlers of the islands arrived by their own means, or whether they were brought and, and, and left on the islands. According to some authors, for example, um, the Romans or Mauritanians may have uh, left them there to determine if a settlement on the island was possible in the future. Um, Or perhaps they left their um, tribes that at the time were dissidents with the Roman Empire or with Mauritania um, for the same reason, to find out if that colony uh, was viable or simply to leave them there. What we do know for sure is that there were Berber tribes um, of Amazigh origin, Coming from North Africa, almost certainly, um, from some area of the current Maghreb, uh, and with whom linguistic similarities have have been confirmed, um, including um, some of the Libyan Berber writing that we can still see in the islands, well, in some of the islands today. Um, Now, a small aside that we must make um, the word Berber. Um, was derogatory in its origin and used by the Romans to talk about those um, quote-unquote African barbarian peoples. Um, hence there is the possible the possible hypothesis that they were sent to the islands as punishment or, or exile um, simply to get them out of the way. So here the preferred word would be um, amasir, which would be their, their local uh, word to define themselves more than Berbers. And um, yeah and also this disconnection between the islands um, because we don't have any proof that the new navigation um, could have made their languages evolve differently on each island, and thus it makes it difficult to determine if they came from a common language, which would later evolve into different languages as as we know that they they had uh, slightly differences. Um, Or if they originally came from different languages um, since the settlement on each island, which all would still have a common root, but um, from their origin, if that makes sense. Um, So that is to say that the Wanche languages, or the languages of the ancient Canaries, um, upon the arrival of the conquerors, um, had common roots, um, but they also had differences between them. Um and this is clear because among other things they used translators for each island or for each pair of islands um since they had difficulties um depending on which island to understand each other um with translators from other islands um again depending on the on the combinations of the translator and the, um and the island they they took them to um whereas they could understand basic words um so, as we said, we have records, uh, though very lit- um, very poorly detailed, of some of the words that were used uh, on all of the islands, um, such as gofio um, or bifo, etc. Um, with gofio being a, a Canarian flour made from uh, toasted grains um, of typically wheat or maize, or uh, nowadays also corn, um, and bifo me- being the um, the, the the small goat, the word for small goat, or for a baby goat, for, for a child goat. They also had different words for their gods. Um uh their god Koran for example, which was a different word in Gran Canaria than in Tenerife, etc. Um so we will deal with all of this in more detail, but just just as a summary to um, explain why it is difficult to um determine nowadays whether um all of their languages um originally um whether the same language was spoken originally in all the islands and then it evolved or uh, it was different um, settlers uh, from different regions with different um, languages from the beginning. Um, So what we do know for for sure is that if they arrived by navigation over time with the passing of generations, that practice was forgotten um, and it fell completely into disuse in such a way that the islands were completely cut off from each other um, when the Spanish arrived beyond, um, as I said, islets and, and swimmable distances between the the couple of islands that are sh- closer to each other, such as um, Fuerteventura and Lanzarote, for example. And um, these differences in, in language are complicated to understand today. Um, when we talk about how could... A language evolve in uh, in such little time um, between the seven islands and in such different ways that they couldn't understand each other but um, or that they had trouble understanding each other beyond basic concepts but perhaps it is um, not so complicated if we take into account that some that some uh, carbon dating um, um, Give these settle, give these settlements on these populations more than a thousand years, um, with settlements possibly even around 500 BC, um, in some of the more, um, of, uh, on the least conservative um, estimations. Um, so, if we take the account, into account the evolution of English or Spanish in just a thousand years, then um, even we would find it difficult to communicate with a person from a thousand years ago, um, a millennium ago. Um, um, same with uh, Portuguese, Italian etc even though all of our languages come from a common root um, we also have this, the example of uh, Spanish in different countries in just 500 years or less when we consider the peninsular Spanish of um, different, uh, compared to different American countries and even the Spanish of the Canary Islands even though today we have television uh, flights and internet and so on um that is to say that it is um perfectly imaginable, I think, um that all of the Wancha languages came uh all of the Wancha languages or all the languages of the Canary Islands um um could have perfectly emerged from a single language in their origin. Um But yeah, um there are there are gonna be some sections of this podcast that are way less satisfying than others. Um and this might be one of them because there are really things that we will never know or that we will um, probably never know for sure. So um, hopefully there will be some some new developments in, um, in this or some new research, some, new, um, some better, more detailed accounts. But for now, uh, this is impossible to know. Um, the important thing, though, um, is that the islands had similar languages at the time uh, that the conquest started. Um, but we weren't, which weren't exactly the same, and that they had their differences, um, and they didn't uh, communicate with each other as much as they could have if they kept the art of navigation. It um, is important, as we'll see through these um, episodes of the conquest, that how the absence of navigation um, greatly helps the conquerors. Um, so. This makes them. This makes it possible for them to use the same military taxi, tactics, strategies, and most importantly, deceptions and sort of strategies um, on one island after another. So we will never know for sure how the ancient Canarians would have defended themselves if they had been able to go to the help of uh, the wanches of Tenerife, for example, or of Gran Canaria. Um, or had the few rebels uh, re- who were remaining in exile, and or in Gran Canaria or whatever, um, being able to go to La Palma, for example, or being able to go to Tenerife, to one of the tricks um, used by the Spanish and and the other conquerors. Um, while it's interesting to think about what may have happened, this is um, this is again like not part of history. Um, and what happened was they they didn't. Um, that didn't keep the of navigation um, and this greatly helped the, the Spanish um, so we'll we'll talk about more uh, of that later um we'll talk about the ancient Canarians and their culture their beliefs diet and so on to then quickly get into the, the conquest of the seven islands as, as we said so let's start right after the music <laughs> Soy la sombra de un almendro Soy volcán, salitre y Okay, so for context, um, the ancient Canarians were stuck, so to speak, in a Neolithic period. Um, if we were to equate it to a more Eurocentric historical language, um, which means that there there were no metals on the islands. Um, they only knew obsidian in some of the islands, um, especially in Tenerife, and they also had a few quarries in a few quarries in Gran Canaria where it was even more precious um, for this reason. Um, So all of the obsidian in in the island of Gran Canaria was obtained from from a couple of quarries um, and then spread through the island. Um, And thus the only metal utensils or weapons um, which they possessed were those obtained through the trade or or barter um, with sailors and and merchants uh, before the conquest. For this reason, their, their weapons at the time um, were stones and sticks, overall. Um, and their utensils were mainly made of volcanic stones, hand-rolled uh, mills and ceramics um, made without a wheel, um, and materials and tools um, made with uh, bones from goats and other animals, etc. were um, the, ut- the more usual ones in, in houses. Um, It is important when we see ceramics of this type, um, which are easily distinguishable um, by the absence of rolling marks, um, so by the absence of the use of the rotating wheel, um, um, since everything was done by Hunter easily. um, um, They're easily identifiable once you've seen a few examples, for example, in a museum. Um, So when we see these ceramics uh, near a side of a a cave, uh, it is important to notify the local government, so, um who will, uh, or the police who will notify the heritage, um, um, the heritage ministry um, of the corresponding council. Um, if they are uh, smaller or bigger pieces, or um, or painted, um, or if they are of considerable size, um, they will be taken to a museum. Um, if they are small pieces. Um, then they'll probably be left on the side, um, but they're still not to be moved. And um, when in doubt, it's better to to uh, to ask the authorities and to notify them. Um, okay, so small. That's a small point regarding heritage, which belongs to everyone, um, and we will discuss it further in in other chapters. But um, important to mention from now on. Um, as for their diet, it is assumed that they arrived on the islands with uh, seeds and animals uh, from Africa. Um, they must have had uh, fig trees, barley and beans, and they also used palm honey. Um, on many islands, they ate the fruits um, of the canarina canariensis, uh, which is a type of uh, bellflower uh, um um, known as the Canary Island bellflower and uh, known locally as Bicacarus. Um, they also ate the fruits of the mocanes uh, or Visnia mocarena, uh, which is uh, another type of plant from the Macaronesia. Um, they also even uh, ate the roots of the fern and some other plants, uh, depending on the island. They also were known to roast barley, um, with which they made uh, the gofio, which Espinosa, um, one of the historians that we will discuss, um, described how, I, I quote, after cleaning this barley, um, they toasted it over the fire and ground it in, in hand grinders. So this would be the, the, the hand mills that, that we were talking about before. He continues, they called this flour gofio, which sifted was their ordinary meal, um, kneading it or dissolving it with water or with milk and cattle lard. And this was used for bread and it's very maintenance intensive. Um, gofio is still prepared today, um, uh, uh, as um, I may add. Um, and what he's describing is basically um, um, a gofio pellet, as, as it were, uh, a pella de gofio. Um, which has uh, served as food in recent times, as well as uh, during the 20th century, uh, during times of famine, etc. Um, it is easy to prepare, and uh, it is true that it does provide uh, quite a lot of maintenance and and quite a bit of uh, um, uh, hunger-relieving food. Um, the Canary Islands can also be proud um, of uh, continuing to sow the same barley as almost uh, two thousand years ago, several studies have shown that um, the barley present today in Gran Canaria, for example, is the same one uh, that was consumed by the ancient uh, Canaries Canarians, and that has been found in 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 some of these caves and and in some of the original containers. Um, they also consumed meat. Um, milk and cheese from goats, sheep, and um, and the meat of the cochino canario or pork, Canarian pork. Um, <clears throat> and depending on the island, uh, meat consumption is mainly asho- associated um, with the highest social uh, strata, um, as is logical and also happened in, in other societies of the time. Um, it is worth noting that the Canarian sheep does not produce wool, Um, So, whereas they wore sheepskins, they did not know wool. Um, The canarian pig is also known for its um, extraordinary meat, um, more expensive than the common pigs. Um, It is related to a North African pig, uh, and thus it's a dark-coloured variant um, um, in terms of skin tone, uh, which is better adapted to heat than other pigs, such as uh, those from Europe. Also, we, as we have uh, briefly mentioned before, um, they also lived in um, artificial and natural caves, um, which were adapted as homes. Um, and in the least habitable or most uh, difficult to access, most difficult to access caves, that is, they would put their um, their deceased uh, relatives, um, which um, whom they had the the habit of, of visiting and consulting, so to speak. Um which is yeah, similar to like going to the cemetery nowadays um but in this case they were more integrated into the population uh, centers uh, into the towns than um than a cemetery would be um in recent centuries um where whereas we usually put cemeteries uh, on the edges of towns um except for older cemeteries that then get swallowed up by the cities um and uh, are a bit close to the urban center, but from the outset, um, they usually, as I said, in the outskirts. Um, but again, the pre-Hispanic Canarians didn't didn't have that custom, and they would just put them sort of nearby um, in difficult to access um, caves or um, or other types of of graves. Um, so. It, uh, it is it is believed that they did not have that disgust or fear of death, um, um, and thus they practically lived with their ancest- uh, ancestors um, whom they visited, as I said. Um, so they would talk to them and uh, ask for advice, um, depending on which chronicles. Um, in addition to the caves, they also had um, stone houses or huts, um, typically in a in a in a cross or um, cruciform shape um, with roofs made out of wood and mud, reeds, and stone in different layers. Um, They also embalmed and mummified their dead, as other African peoples did, including the famous um, ancient Egyptians. Depending on the social status of the deceased, um, they would have a more or less complex uh, mummification process, as in uh, as is the case in other cultures. Um, the embalming method was aided by the sun, which dried the corpses and allowed them to preserve the internal organs. That is why um, some of the well-preserved oneche uh, or ancient uh, pre-Hispanic Canarian mummies um, are today our best witness um, of how they lived. Um, and um, they're an, an even better um, source of, of that type of information than the Egyptian mummies uh, for example um, so the context of the stomachs of some of the mummified wanches have been studied um, and in, especially in recent times uh, allowing us to admire both the state of conservation of these mummies and um, as well as study their, their diet and customs and um, We'll talk about the mummies more in detail later, but a um, bit more context. Um, most burials were carried without, um, without soil, um, so the bodies would be covered in, in stone mounds um, or deposited in caves, as we already mentioned. Um, and it is for this reason, as well as for uh, medieval superstitions, that many, uh, many of these skeletons and, and mummies were looted and exported to Europe. Where their bones were believed to have uh, magical properties, um, and were also used as cures for many diseases, um, and above all as an alchemical, uh, as an ingredient in alchemical um, formulas um, and experiments, which is which is obviously quite sad. Um, so the bones would be crushed into a powder, and then uh, sorry, ground into a powder, and then and then used in these experiments. I believe. Um, also, as a small aside to this, uh, the best preserved mummy. Um, well, there are mummies in museums in Gran Canaria and Tenerife, but the best preserved one, mummy, is found in Madrid. It was um, it was a gift, um, I believe, from from someone in the Canaries to the King of Spain uh, at the time. Um, so we'll talk more about this. But there are also several others in. Um, in other countries and, and in other continents, such as um, in Canada, um, in the UK, and Germany, etc., which were simply bought from the from the locals, or or the information on where to find them or when to find them uh, was bought from the locals, perhaps. Talking a bit more about their lives, uh, the ancient Canarians also had systems of laws uh, with councils that attended to and judged the affairs and problems of their citizens. Um, It is believed that they used um, what's known as canarian wrestling um, as a spectacle, but also as a way to resolve disputes. Um, As an example of their laws, well, um, a quick example to follow, um, a woman would have to give uh, a man um, permission to speak to her if they ever crossed uh, paths while while she was alone. Um, and thus any man who bothered a woman or even spoke to her without um, prior permission uh, would be heavily punished uh, depending on which island, Uh, as we'll we'll see in more detail later. Okay, now we can finally begin um, with a bit more context, talking about one of the most exciting topics um, in the history of the Canary Islands, in my opinion, which is the uh, conquest, Um, also one of the saddest. Um, Remember from 1402 to 1496, almost 100 years, um, to conquer the seven islands. Uh, And in fact, we will talk about events prior to uh, 1402 briefly, um, before starting with the first island that was conquered, the the island of uh, Lanzarote. Um, So there are some first approaches and attempts to conquer the islands that we're not going to see um, in detail until a future audio, but we are going to Mention uh, some of them very, very quickly. So, we had a few encounters with the islands since the Romans. Um, uh, recently, there's, there's been a discovery of what's uh, believed to have been a Roman settlement from the first century BC on the island of Lobos uh, near Fortentura. This would be intended for the production of purple. Uh, purple tints um, from uh, the amastoma stramonite, which is uh, known locally as the carnadilla or purple in Spanish. Basically, the, this carnadilla is a, is a mollusk, which releases a purple liquid um, and was obviously very precious in, in Roman times uh, because the um, color purple was difficult to obtain as a dye and a purple tunic um, meant power, and, um, mainly economic power um, at that time. This is the reason why many flags do not have the color purple. Um, The Spanish Republican flag uh, was one of the first to have it uh, actually because uh, artificial dyes already existed from the 19th and 20th centuries. Um, um, And yeah, it, it is a shame that Spain didn't did not add it sooner because um, we would have had a lot of um, industry and so on from the purple dyes in the Canary Islands. But um, So in this Roman site from the first century BC, um, there's been some ceramics um, supposedly found from um, Hispania, dating from, from that time. Um, and it's also worth noting that the Romans had similar factories on the coast of what's uh, present-day Morocco, um so it is it it does make sense what surprised the researchers however is that they did not settle in a place which had a bigger coastline on an island like lanzarote or tentura at least which are obviously much larger would have given them more space to expand uh, their company and um, so their industry and to have larger ports um etc so this suggests that perhaps they were settled um, so the 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 or the pre-Hispanic Canarians were already settled there, um, and didn't let them um, set their factories in their islands. But there are simply no traces left of those sites, or they haven't found, or they haven't been found yet. Um, um, well, later on we will also explain. Um, there are there are a series of approaches in this period and between the first century BC. Um, up until the 14th century, but we'll skip ahead a little so that we can um, return to discuss this later. However, uh, an, a very important one occurs at the beginning of the 14th century, around the year 1312, um, where the Genoese um o Malocello um, arrived in Lanzarote and settled there for a short time. So um, the island is believed to be named... Um, um, related to this to his name from then onwards, um, and that's how he was uh, named or mentioned on the maps of the time. Um, so over time, after Lancelotto Malocello, it begins. Um, it will become known as Lanzarote. So obviously, this one's important. Um, a series of incursions to, to the island followed during this time in search of materials and mainly slaves at that time. Um, this greatly reduces the population of the island, uh, as well as its resources, uh, especially in terms of livestock. Um, and this is going to be a recurring theme. Um, it's going to be recurring, especially in the smaller islands, um, which have less capability for defenses, such as El Hierro, Lanzarote. Um, even though it will also uh, happen or, or be attempts of it on islands like Gran Canaria, Fuerteventura, um, and basically almost all of the islands. Um this means that at the beginning of the conquest, almost a century later, the ancient Canaries were, the Canarians were already aware of the warlike tactics of the Europeans, um, but on a smaller scale, um, as well as their desire to obtain slaves, basically. They had already realized that the old that, the, um, that they took on their boats uh, normally did not return. Um, it is in the year 1377 uh, when the Biscayan captain Martin Ruiz de Avendaño um, docks in, in Lanzarote. He goes to Lanzarote. He was supposedly very well received by the indigenous people of Lanzarote um, and their chief Son Samas, their Juan Arteme, um or king of Lanzarote. So Juan Arteme means a king. Um, and um, so this Son Samas, this chief, offers him accommodation in his home um, so that he can recover and then embark again. According to the sources, this story comes to us mainly from the version of Abreu Galindo, another historian who we will discuss uh, above all with the conquest of the other islands. but according to the original sources, many of which have been lost, by the way, um, this Juan from Lanzarote offered to share a bed with his wife to the guest of honor, which is a custom that was more common at this time, at least in, in, um, in other countries as well, which was called um, best Bed Hospitality. And um, even though the veracity of this, um, of this story is questioned nowadays, um, we'll refer to it as um, the legend of Princess Ico, or the story of Princess Ico, uh, Princess Ico, I-C-O. Um, so Ico was born around um, 1377, months after the departure of this Captain Martin Ruiz de Avendaño that we mentioned. And um, obviously, according to historical sources, there were doubts among the inhabitants of Lanzarote um, since um, both Samas, the one Arteme and, uh, and, and his wife, uh, recognized her as his legitimate daughter. Uh, but according to what um, historians such as Abreu Alindo tells us, um, her physical appearance was of a white complexion and blonde hair, which clashed with that of the rest of the inhabitants. Uh, who were said to be more dark-skinned. The main problem with this historical account is that the Chronicles of the Conquest of Lanzarote tells us um, that the children were born with white skin. Um, The French um, historian, the French person who wrote these comments um, stated that they were not born uh, different from them, referring to Europeans, who were born with white skin. Um, and that it was later in their life that their skin would brown from contact with the sun. So, yeah, in, in this sense, the story of Ico uh, uh, makes a little makes makes little sense. Um, so, if we believe one of the, one of these historians, then the other ones a bit strange. Um, but it also does make sense that there were some misgivings towards um, the person who would ultimately be the heir of the of the island. Um, it's also worth noting that the, the French histori- the French person um, uh, the French author I'm talking about was actually there in person whereas Abreu Alinde is a later historical figure that we'll talk about um, uh, a later author um, so with the death of Sansamas of the Guanarteme um, his son Tinguafaya takes on the position of leader of the of, of leader of Lanzarote as a Guanarteme, um, but with such bad luck that shortly after he's kidnapped along t- along with his wife and 170 other inhabitants by another captain, Gonzalo Peraza, with the purpose of trading them as slaves. So he's replaced at this moment by one of his brothers, Juan areme um, who Abreu, Abreu Galindo says uh, marries Ico, Ico, um, is strange that they would marry between brothers, um, but it, it also happened among the nobility, a bit like in the rest of Europe, to maintain the lineage, etc. etc. In any case, um, they end up having a son, Guadarfía, who will later become the Juan Artemi A few years later, Juan Areme, the the husband and, and brother of um, Ico, also dies a few years later, Fighting with pirates who had also come in search of uh, slaves, and um, a new kind of dispute begins. So they accuse um, the inhabitants of Lanzarote. Um, bring up the relationship that uh, the Juan Artemis, the old Juan Artemis wife, uh, Sonsamas' wife, had maintained with Martin Ruiz de Avendano years ago, and they put um, Ico's lineage in question. Um, and this would obviously affect the validity of her son, Guadarfia, to the throne, uh, to the position of uh, Juan Artemio Planzarote. Um, and according to this legend, so to call it, or story that uh, Galindo presents us, um, uh, the Council of, of, of Wise Elders, or so, so, so to call it, meets. Um, since they're not able to determine whether Aiko is really the heiress or or a mestizo, a mixed a mixed race uh, person, they they come to a conclusion that they must do a test, um, and thus leave things in the hands of God or destiny. So what they decide to do is they want to uh, lock Princess Eco, um along with three other mates or commoners, um, inside the cave. Uh, or a house um, and they will create a bonfire with the intention of uh, filling the cave with smoke um, and then later checking if she died of asphyxiation or was able to survive in the cave Um, in their minds this would um, this would without a doubt confirm whether whether she was a natural descendant of Sansamas or not um so yeah, maybe considering this was the Middle Ages, this might sound even kind of normal in Europe. Um we're talking about witch hunts um and, and all those times, um even centuries later. Um Okay, so it is said that obviously the other uh, three mates died and they asphyxiated as as expected. Um but that Aiko nevertheless Ico, nevertheless, uh, emerges compl- completely unharmed. Um, and the way she did this is thanks to her um, caretaker, Uga, uh, who used to be the family maid, who before uh, she enters the cave, um, gives her a, a, a hidden sea sponge that she was carrying, um, like a bit of sea coral, and recommends that uh, she put it uh, in her mouth and breathes through it um and by using this this wet sponge um she she and her son uh, can recover the position as the legitimate heirs of sansama um and this is how Guadarfía, uh, who is Aiko's son becomes the one Artemi um, in the period that we're about to discuss so yeah as I said this story has certain contradictions um but it is it is quite exciting and it is it is a well-known legend. Um what is clear is that these characters did exist and even um even though we don't know exactly how it happened, it is it is possible that there were certain questions about their lineage, um which were then dissipated or, or went away. Um and that this uh Captain Martin did hap- did uh, happen to spend a few days in, in the house, or probably a few weeks in the house of uh one of Temeson Samas. Um so Ico is well known for this story, but also um, and for succeeding his father, er, her father. But above all, um, she also gives birth to the last of the one uh, Artemis, the last of the kings of Lanzarote, uh, Guadarfia. In this pre-conquest period, um, the Count of Talamón, uh, Luis de la Cerda, obtains the title of Concession of the Fortunate Islands by the Pope Clement VI, um, he proposed to embark with Aragonese and Majorcan soldiers, um, but he died. And it wasn't until, until years later, in 1344, when that crew embarked, accompanied by five Franciscan friars, um, and headed towards Lanzarote, with the bad luck that they actually arrived in Gran Canaria. Um, Yeah, and we will deal with this episode later when we talk about the conquest of Gran Canaria because it does not have uh, any major effects on that of uh, Lanzarote. What is certain is that later Telde um, in Gran Canaria will be chosen for the first uh, bishopric, um, um, which is the first one in the Canary Islands. And in 1357 until 1411, the bishopric of La Fortuna, later called the bishopric of, of Telde, um, um, was created and um, it 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 was it was held in the island of Gran Canaria. Um, it, however, remains unoccupied a uh, large part of the time, as we will discuss later. So, um, even though it used to be believed that the first diocese um, or uh, bishopric uh, bishopric in in the islands was held in Lanzarote in San Marcial del, del Rubicón. Um, this was based on old data and um, because it is not until the 90s when a researcher discovers uh, well, rediscovers the existence of this uh, bishopric in Telde um, which was indeed the first one of, of which there is um, there is no other records um, so as we said in 1402 the stately conquest uh, of the island of Lanzarote began uh, as we had already mentioned before so what is this nobility, stately uh, conquest that we're talking about? Um, or lordly conquest, uh, I guess. So this nobility conquest um, is, is known as uh, those that were carried out by people of the nobility who somehow obtained the right to conquest um, an island or a territory in, um, and to do it for their own benefit. Uh, that is to obtain um, a nobility title, a lordship, um, without the participation of any crown, um, and um, which um, which grants uh, the right and sometimes the funding, uh, but usually only the right of conquest to a particular noble, um, in exchange for a vassalage pact. So uh, this person would um, become a vassal um, of of um, of Spain, of uh, Castile in this case, and and so on. Um, So we're going to talk about this first uh, Betancurian or Norman conquest um, carried out by Jean de Betancourt and Gadifer de la Salle, which affects three of the islands on which, uh, even though they were Normans, um, as as we said, they offered their vassalage to the crown of Castile. Um, This is followed... um, by the, the Castilian sort of royal conquest, uh, which we'll discuss later and which is the last part of the um, of the conquest of the islands. Um, and with this term, we, we encompass what is carried out directly by the Crown of Castile, uh, mainly during the reign of the Catholic kings. Um, Uh, And in this case, it would be the crown that finances the conquest of the islands um, that remain to be dominated at this time, which uh, at the time were Gran Canaria, La Palma and Tenerife. Um, And and this takes place uh, towards the end of the 15th century. In this part of the conquest, then, it is the crown itself that sends its generals and so on. Uh, some of which are also promised positions, uh, or nobility titles, and especially lands, Um, but it is no longer the lordship of the entire island, Um, and that is that the power in these islands always remains in the hands of the crown um, in this royal conquest, so to speak. So, sorry about such a long introduction. Um, Now that we... Can finally start talking about the actual conquest uh, of Lanzarote. Um, um, yeah, as so we said, the first and also the shortest, probably, um, or at least the one that can be summarized the quickest. So, as is common in this nobility or in this um, lordly conquests, um, Jan de Betancourt or Juan de Betancourt. Uh, as known in the Canaries obtains the rights and 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 begins to serve the Crowns still, even though he is of normal origin. Um, back in his time, there was less of a, um, less of a concept of a nation and more of a concept of uh, vassalage to to a particular king. Um, he obtains money from the courts in in France and also some associates. Um, um, And he becomes partners uh, with another uh, knight called Cadifer de la Salle um, to gather the leave on May 1st, 1402, for the Canary Islands. Um, They have three ships with uh, 200 men each, uh, which is quite a large number. Um, And two months later or so, they arrive in Lanzarote. Um, in a relatively short period, uh, they managed to conquer the island by force, of course, and with their superior arms and weapons. Um, um, and they also try to divide and create uh, enmities among the, upper, the pre-Hispanic peoples of Lanzarote. Um, so, with this and their um, and their um, and their superior forces, um, they're very easily. Um, they very easily overtake the whole island. Um, as um, as we had said before, um, Lanzarote had already suffered um, uh, many losses uh, due to attacks and and slave uh, trade and so on. Well, not trade, but like capture. Um, um, and so, according to accounts, there were barely two hundred soldiers or or two hundred souls capable of uh, helping in the resistance of attacks, uh, perhaps even between 200 and 300 people on the entire island, um, mainly, again, due to looting by the Portuguese, Spanish, and uh, fleets and, and pirates, um, as well as Italians, among others. So they quickly take possession of the island and they place themselves as lords of the island, uh, both Petancourt and Gadifer de la Salle, um, and this expedition is uh, quite important due to the presence of the Franciscans Pierre Boutier and Jean Le Verrier, who will, who will take it upon themselves to uh, write uh, the their chronicle or diary of the conquest and the campaign of the normal expedition called uh, Le Canadien, which is the first writing and the first descriptions of the ways of life um, of the pre-Hispanic peoples in the Canaries. Um, so they tell us, everything they can about these 200 or 300 souls who lived in Lanzarote at that time, um, under the command of Juan Arteme Guadarfía, who we mentioned before, the son of Princess Aiko. Um, and the mission of this conquest was to, in, in, in summary, and I quote, uh, see and visit the entire country to conquer it and convert his people to the Christian faith. Um, end quote. Hence the presence of these uh, Franciscans, um, and why it was conquered under the crown of Castile, um, and thus it became the first island to be colonized. So the invasion began from the south. Um, the people of Lanzarote, the, the Majos, were small in number, as we said, and they occupied uh, they occupied the center and the north of the island mainly. So they did not um, have time to put up much resistance. Um, and as we said, they set the first uh, diocese, um, or, or bishopric, in San Marcial del Rubicon. Um, so this is where the troops of Jean de Betancourt and Gadifer de la Salle first settled, and uh, this was promoted to, cath- to the category of cathedral in 1404, so two years later. Um, and by having this settlement, this fortress, um, this first fortress of of, of the islands, um, called the Rubicon Fortress, uh, Jean de Bettencourt decides to try to begin the conquest of the neighboring island of Forteventura. I guess encouraged, um, especially because of the lack of resistance from the natives of uh, of Lanzarote. Um, so, after many days of useless raids and realizing that he was losing many of the men he had at his disposal, uh, Bettencourt has to return to Castile. And, um, he goes there in search of reinforcements mainly, and uh, he leaves Gadifer de la Salle in command of Lanzarote um, and the government of the island. Gadifer de la Salle, in view of this period of relative inactivity and the number of the big number of men that he has under his command um, during these months of waiting, he resolves to explore the remaining islands on his own. Um so now we're going to leave it here because uh, now we will be getting into the incursions to Fuerteventura. And while well, I don't want to leave this uh, episode being too long either, because um, the introduction really um, took a long time. Um, so here we have left it with the island of Lanzarote completely conquered, although there will be some revolts in the coming years, of course, and, um, and now they'll try to um, to move and to conquer other islands. Um, um, meanwhile, the, the people of Lanzarote will also try, um, but I don't want to spoil it either, but, um, um, there'll be m- much more, uh, a few more stories from Lanzarote. But, um, as a matter of fact, the island from here on is uh, already added to the crown of Castile. Um, and it is already considered the first colonized island of the archipelago. Um, and, um, Uh, next chapters and next episodes will focus on the others Um, starting with Fuerteventura as I said just south of Lanzarote so um, with all this I hope that it has turned out to be an informative pleasant audio as always Um, I know there's a lot of data years and dates um, um, but above all it's important to take into account the vision that both these ancient ancient Canarians, these pre Hispanic peoples and the people who would have um um and the people um the europeans at the time the 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 vision of the world that they would have um it is difficult um to imagine coming from the south of france and then stopping in coruña um then coming to the canary islands and and for all of that journey to take two to three months um then arriving at an island um and um and being repelled and needing to return to Castile for more troops um um, it is difficult to imagine especially the crash of cultures um so uh, which we're going to see um more of in in the other islands with with a larger population um and yeah as i said already the the, the people of lanzarote de majos uh, with 200 people against 600 with ships and military weapons of the time uh, which were more advanced um and so on so um yeah as as we said before shame that they didn't um know any navigation or that they forgot about it with the generations because uh, it could have could have turned the tables and um and yeah but you know the history is it is what it is um we also have not talked about um almost any battle because there is not much um to talk about on the island of Lanzarote unfortunately um but yeah we have put in in context why this is the case and um um yeah I I am really looking forward to future audios and uh, especially those with uh, some more battles and some more um interesting tactics So yeah, that's all from me. Um, Thank you once again. And any comments or suggestions, very welcome um, at our email, canaryislands.podcast at gmail.com. So canaryislands altogether, .podcast at gmail.com. Thanks again and see you, talk to you in the next one. Sombra de un almendro soy volcán salitre y la